One of the greatest dangers and one of the greatest temptations in all of life is our tendency to place ultimate concern on what is not ultimate. Some of you know that prior to my life as a pastor, I served as a high school history teacher. I was a counselor. I was a coach. Teaching was challenging and fun. Counseling students was rewarding. Coaching may leave me with the most lasting memories, especially coaching JV football. You can imagine this. The JV football team has some guys who have yet to grow into their age and some other guys who have grown fast beyond their ability, their body's ability to keep up. Most of the guys on the JV football team are struggling to stay coordinated and connected as they move through the seasons and changes and challenges of that chapter of life. It takes about two weeks for guys on the JV football team to get used to their helmets and their shoulder pads. There was always a few on the team whose pants never quite stayed on. You know, the hip pads and the thigh pads kind of drag the pants right off of them. There were a couple whose helmets didn't quite fit. They would make a tackle and their face mask would be over by their ear. And perhaps more than anything I'll uh, remember about uh, coaching, I will remember Brian. Brian was a likable kid. He loved playing football. He came to practice and he came to games ready to play. But unlike the other kids, Brian played every play of every game seeking the affirmation of his father on the sidelines. After making a tackle with his helmet askew, he would look to the sideline to be sure that his father had seen that achievement. After catching a pass before he was even off the ground, he would turn to the stands to see if his dad and his glance were looking toward Brian, and the sad truth is that Brian's dad was often not even watching. He was talking to other people in the stands. And what I discovered, like too many kids, was that Brian lived in constant fear of his dad's judgment, and he lived in constant attempts to win his dad's approval. He couldn't even enjoy the game. He had to perform for his dad. And the only time that Brian really could be himself was when his dad was nowhere around. Many of us find ourselves living to please others, and it's especially easy for kids to do that. But remember, one of the greatest temptations in our life is to place ultimate concern on things that are not ultimate. One of my theology professors once said that all of us tend to live life with one of two groundings We either live as if someone is watching over us with a suspicious stare or we live as if someone is watching over us with a loving glance. Brian, at least in those days of JV football, was clearly grounded in the former by the suspicious stare. Many of us, maybe not so drastically, also tend to live in that grounding In much of what we do, we're motivated by the fear of failure. We don't want to fail at our jobs, so we give everything, even sacrifice so much to them. 
or we're motivated by the need for approval, sort of like Brian. We want to distinguish ourselves in the eyes of the world, so we focus on what? O- upward mobility, or we focus on financial security, and it seems we can never have enough of that. Or we focus on various associations that give us the kind of encouragement we think we need. And if we're not careful, we place ultimate concern on what is not ultimate. When we think about the central message of the Bible, about God's love and about God's promises covering us, when we think about God's presence with us and God's purposes for our lives, God keeps wanting us To know what is ultimate. God keeps wanting to show us what is ultimate. And God keeps wanting us to prioritize our lives with what is ultimate so that we're not lost in all the things that are not ultimate. And God's approach all through Scripture is not the suspicious stare, but the loving glance. God's approach is the attentive passionate, caring way that God wants to shape us and are living in the world. There's a very memorable story early in the Bible. Moses went up to the mountain and Moses stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights while the Lord was giving Moses instruction in the building of the tabernacle and what it would mean for God's people to worship and live faithful life with God. Moses was with God hearing about all this. Forty days and forty nights seemed to be a a long time for the leader of the people to be gone. So the people began to grow restless and they were waiting for Moses to come back from his time with God. So they decided in all their waiting that they would appoint their own liturgical teams to figure out how to worship. And they said, we don't know what happened to Moses, this guy who brought us out of slavery and into this wilderness. We're not sure about this invisible God that we can't put our hands on, that we can't control. A pillar uh, of night guides us at night and a pillar of cloud in the day, but we can't control all this and we're not sure what to do. So what we want and what we need is a God that we can get our hands on and we need a God we can see when we want to see it. Aaron was the priest left behind with the people and he was feeling all this pressure and angst from the people and he asked them for their gold rings. So they came and they made a pile of their gold rings. There were nose rings and there were uh, finger rings and there were ear rings and they took the whole pile and they melted it down and molded it and Aaron got out of got out his uh, engraving tools and he engraved it and there was this beautiful, shining, golden calf. You remember the story perhaps. All the people were happy because now they had a God that they could see and they could touch. They had a God like their neighbors had. See, it's always hard, really hard to be the one with the invisible God when everybody else has a visible God. So they worshiped the golden calf, and they made offerings, and they did what they thought was right. And then, just when they were really rolling in their worship and in all their joy and self-satisfaction, Moses returned from the mountain, and Moses came down from his time with God, and he got so mad that he broke the tablets of the law that God had written on the mountain. And Moses took the calf, and he burned it, and he ground it into powder, 
And this really got Aaron worried. Aaron said he really didn't make the golden calf. He just threw the gold in the fire and out came the golden calf. Nice try, Aaron. But that's missing the point. That's missing the point. The point is, God keeps wanting to show us what's ultimate. Help us know how to prioritize our lives with what's ultimate so they won't get lost. We won't get lost in all the things that aren't ultimate. Can a golden calf claim you as a holy people and lead you from slavery? Only God can do that. Can a golden calf guide you by day and night to a promised land? Only God can do that. Can a golden calf give you an identity and a purpose in the world? You are a blessed and you are called to be a blessing. Can a golden calf show you how to live? God speaks it. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in Worship and service be transformed in serving God in the world? Can a golden calf give you life? I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Those who live and believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. I'm pretty sure none of us have a golden calf. (laughs) that we have made and that we worship and that we strive to serve. But we can all be lured. We can all be lured into giving our ultimate concern to what is not ultimate. The word of the week is jealous. In the Bible... Jealous has two very different meanings. The first meaning would be very familiar to us. To be jealous is to carry an an intense hatred rooted in envy. Most of us know something of this emotion. It's how we feel when someone has something that we know we would really like to have or we would enjoy too, like maybe a nice car, a home, a wonderful trip somewhere or some skill or some beauty that we long for. That's jealousy. Jealousy may be a very natural emotion. It's just part of how we're made. It's part of life. In fact, jealousy can take over your life, leading to fixations leading to greed, leading to unfortunate activity, unfortunate actions, all of which certainly lead us down a very bad road to a very bad place. This is why in so many places in the Bible, jealousy is really condemned. It's the opposite of love. It's the opposite of faith. When Jesus had disciples fussing with envy and jealousy, he condemned that way and he pointed them to selflessness and he pointed them to service jealousy is named as one of the seven deadly sins 
For the Apostle Paul, love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so there are many lists, especially in Paul's letters, about how to live the faithful life. And he often talks about throwing off jealousy and live in the Spirit. Throw off jealousy, which is counter to compassion and kindness and meekness and patience. Throw it off and live in the Spirit. There's also another understanding of jealousy in the Bible. And we heard it mentioned in our first lesson today from Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself an idol. That's the message about giving ultimate concern to something that's not ultimate. Why? We're to bow down and give allegiance to God. For God is a jealous God, punishing those who reject God and showing steadfast love on those who love and serve God. This understanding of jealous has less to do with envy and more to do with single-minded zeal. Zeal and jealousy both come from the same word. The first understanding, as we know, is a negative emotion which is mostly destructive for us. But the second understanding as zeal is a positive emotion. And here's a way to think about it. In Hebrew, the word jealous means literally to be red in the face. So we can be red in the face in ways that lead us to negative actions, even to a vengeful fury. So red in the face with jealousy, like a jealous spouse might feel when one has been betrayed. Like a brother might feel when one member of the family has gone and wasted the whole inheritance. Like maybe when a co-worker gets all the credit and we're left out. Or a neighbor has all the signs of joy and wealth and we continue to struggle along on our way. When jealousy is turned uh, upon the self and we get red in the face with hatred and envy and anger, this is destructive. Real love is not jealous. Real faith never nurtures jealousy. Real discipleship seeks to move always away from the destruction caused by jealousy. But being red in the face, jealous... And it's a fine line, can also be positive. A single-minded zeal. And this is how it's to be understood in Exodus. God is a jealous God. That means God is red in the face in deep devotion to God's people. God's not sitting on the mantle in the shape of a golden calf that you can look at and rub when you feel like it. God maintains a single-minded zeal for God's people. God is not remote and indifferent. God is red in the face, present and devoted. God is not marginally interested in your heartfelt prayers about your life, about your 
loves, your deepest concerns? No. God is red in the face, ready to hear your prayers, your deepest concerns, and meet you in the most drastic circumstances of life, promising never will you be without me. Never. That's God. So when jealousy is turned beyond ourselves, it can produce a kind of zeal leading to total selflessness. And this is how we're to understand God. Total devotion, compassion, presence, and care. Here's how it's summarized so well in the New Testament. And it's our second lesson. And it comes from John chapter 3. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. God is a jealous God. That means God is so devoted, so red in the face for us, that God gives His only Son that we won't perish but have eternal life. This is God's single-minded, positive zeal that the world might be saved through Him. We are to align our lives with God's devotion, in such a devotion and in such an allegiance. We're to open our hearts and trust God with our lives and give our very best efforts to loving and serving God with all our days, our ultimate concern. That's our ultimate concern. This is the essence of the gospel, the very core of our faith. I need to hear those words this week. I think we all need to hear those words, especially in these days as we move through Lent and think about rededicating our life and deepening our faith and finding refreshment for the journey as God's people. We need to hear these words, especially in these days as we deal with heartache and loss of church members and challenges going on in our families and community and Challenging going on, challenges going on in our nation, and our world. We need to keep hearing this. God's deep devotion, zeal to be our God, and we're God's people. We're called, friends, to place our ultimate concern on that which is ultimate. Love God and love God's people. Worship the Lord, singing and praying and committing to God's purposes, and you will have life. That's the message. The Lord shepherds us from the beginning of time and we're to live in the house of the Lord forever. And how do we do that? Once you are not a people, now you're God's people. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Nothing can separate you from God's love. That's the promise. Our ultimate concern is with the ultimate. The creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, 
who gives his son that we may have life and life in abundance, I invite you, you and all of us and always this week, next week, forever to keep thinking about how we live as God's trusting and serving people. We've been given life and love and we're called to believe and we're called to love and serve and therefore find life to God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall, to turn to you. Well, that's to rise, to stand with you, to serve you. Our ultimate concern, that is to abide forever. We seek that way. Amen.